Hello and welcome to our Children's Rights in Action podcast series. Here at Children's Parliament, we believe that children should grow up in a world of love, happiness and understanding. Our mission is to inspire greater awareness and understanding of the power of children's human rights and to support the implementation of the United Nations Convention on the Rights of the Child, the UNCRC, into Scots law. We're looking forward to sharing this with you through our conversations. Today we want to focus on how we make children's rights real by sharing with you a conversation we had with former director of the Children and Young People's Centre for Justice, Claire Lightowler. Hi, my name's Cathy McCulloch. I'm co-director at Children's Parliament and I'm delighted to be part of this Year of Childhood conversation with Claire Lightowler. Claire, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Cathy, I'm Claire Lightowler. I'm director of the Children and Young People Centre for Justice. Great. And we are really thrilled to have you um, as part of this Year of Childhood conversation, which I know is one of the last things you'll be doing in your role as director. Um, I'm sure it doesn't feel like you're winding down just now. You'll be really busy getting things tied up and, and planning your exciting next steps. But this is Year of Childhood, and we are really keen in Year of Childhood to think about what does a rights-based approach look like? And what is the journey to a rights-based approach? What are the opportunities, the challenges? What difference does it make? Um, and so I've got a few questions that will help guide our conversation, but really this is just an informal conversation. So please feel free to take it, take the conversation where you would like it to go. This, the, you, you, throughout your work, you have clearly had a huge impact and your organisation has, has, is known for the quality of and impact of its work. So maybe you could just kick off by talking a wee bit about what it was like at the beginning. What did you, what did you come into? What, what were your experiences and feelings at the very start? Yes, it's so lovely to be given this chance to do that and think about think back to that time. You know, I was 34, which for a director of a centre was relatively young or, you know, certainly I certainly came in thinking that, you know, people may not take me seriously. People may not see me in that kind of space. I may not have the gravitas or so, you know, that was that was me as a, as a person then coming in and seeing this range of extremely complex issues um, for very troubled and challenged children. And I think that was the kind of language and tone at that time about troubled children, vulnerable children, and this balance of vulnerability and um, risk. So seeing children almost through these dichotomies then of victim or perpetrator um, and very much, I and mean, we still see that, it's not that that, um, that way of thinking has gone away, but there was very much this kind of, a recognition that children are both, but then yet seeing children either as victims or perpetrators of harm through our various pieces of the system, if you see what I mean. Um, and so, so I think that was the kind of context that I came into. Um, and obviously the, the numbers of children in the justice system at that time, so it was 20, 2013, and you know, when I, when I reflect on where, where we are now um, in 2021, the, the proportion of children then in the courts is down um, a, a, around 40%. The proportion of children that are in our young offenders institution is down about 67%. I, I looked at the figures just 
um, on, um, last week, and we have 17 children, 17 children in a young offenders institution or prison. When I started, there was about 70 on any one wow. day. So, you know, we the, the, the pace of change has been massive and that was already building on change it wasn't that you know that I joined and the, the journey started you know it was already those numbers were changing so I came in then thinking um, so much about the bits of the system and what needed to be done and thinking about the complexity of that and um, and for me the journey personally for my my way of thinking is really being about rights and thinking about children as rights holders of course, they are still victims of adversity and harm and poverty and all these kind of issues that they are grappling with and, 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 we, and we as adults need to support them with. They are also potentially sometimes um, able to cause harm, sometimes quite significant harm to other people. These are truths, um, but they are also rights holders and seeing children as rights holders as the lens through which you think about their journeys through the care and justice systems, I think just changes your whole way of thinking. And for me, that's the difference. That's the key difference that um, I think we're getting to um, as a kind of group of people, a society um, eventually. I think at the moment it's quite professional kind of focus, but I think that's the journey we're on. And obviously it, you know, it builds on Kilbrandon um, and, you know, the, some of the key work setting up the children's hearing system back in the 60s. These are, are not um, alien concepts to a model and an approach in Scotland that has always been about recognizing and putting children at the center and recognizing their status as children um, but the rights dimension of Kilbrandon it, it for that time you know so um, so it feels very exciting to be to have been working on something that is so compatible with a Scottish model but really takes it to that next step rather than resting on the laurels of, you know, we have all these great things about the children's hearing system and our approach, um, but really now it's time for, right, but what next? How do we really, really improve the situation for these children? And did you arrive with that mindset? Did you arrive knowing that you wanted to embed a rights-based approach and look at the whole issue through a rights lens? No, absolutely didn't. Um, it was only after several years in the role um, and, you know, you, kind of rights were, were on the periphery almost of the work, you know, you, you kept sort of noticing it and stumbling across the, the rights kind of way of thinking, if you like, um, but it wasn't at the, it wasn't the way we were framing it. It wasn't the way we were looking at the system and the approach. And it was a colleague of mine, Nina, Nina Vaswani, and she probably doesn't even remember saying it. She said, I think we should spend more time thinking about rights as a framework for what we're doing. And it stuck with me. And it probably, you know, in the busyness of the work and doing so many other things, it was probably just the thing that ticked over in my mind at, at times, you know, for that for a year or two before I said, yeah, actually, this is this is the this is the task that's needed to be done to think about the whole system, everything that we're doing with children in conflict with the law from the perspective of rights. And then I navigated and negotiated a, 
um, a sabbatical for a year for myself to to spend that time doing that thinking about like what does that mean what and crucially what does that look like for practice and policy and how do we get that what are this what are the steps what are the things that need to change along that way to ensure that we are rights-based and compliant with uncrc and so when that was a, a great idea actually to take that time away to really get to grips with it and think about it so when you came back into the organisation, how did you approach that with the rest of the team? Because we know that traditionally this is something that can be quite difficult and challenging to get across to people because often it's seen as a bit of an additional thing. You think, as you said, you think about when at the end of a busy day or when you've got five minutes. So what approach did you take to, to, to make this relevant and meaningful across your team? Well, I think to be honest, you know, although I was the one taking that time to really do that deep work to think about what it meant for a system. I think the whole team had been on the same, we'd been on the same journey collectively. So, and as I would, you know, I, I was awake, I was, I was actually in this room for a year before this year, year of COVID and um, doing that thinking. So although I was distant in terms of where I was and how I was working and thinking, the team was still engaged in dialogue with me about what I was thinking about. I was feeding in ideas. So as I came back in January 2020, um, I think already many of the ideas had percolated into the team and I was reflecting what the team had been working on. It wasn't, it wasn't me. It felt like I was the carrier for um, the ideas that the team were having that we just didn't have time to really think deeply about so yeah everyone everyone was keen that we did this where everyone recognized the importance of doing that it's a very special team and it's a very special group of people so that bit wasn't hard what obviously then potentially is a little bit more challenging potentially is for some other people for for some other stakeholders that don't have the time to think um about these things because it just feels like potentially it can feel like another thing to do, another thing you're being criticised for, another thing to invest in. All of these these issues are you know really live for people, and um, but obviously our approach and and you know I'm looking the organisation that I've been leading. You know the, the approach is working very much with people on a journey of change. So we are um, generally seen as so uh, and are, are able to be supportive to them in thinking about what does this mean for what you do, how you write that email, how you hold that meeting, very practical kind of things to help translate otherwise what can be quite abstract ideas into something that's much more tangible and real and do that work, help do that work with them to, because I think so often people are left with the, the idea or the aspiration without that kind of support about and time to think and reflect about how you, how you do that. So how did you approach it then? I mean, were there any particular surprising sources of support or pockets of, of support or, or opportunity that you that you built on? Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, the thing about this this work is, and it is interesting because I was, you know, I was thinking like, who's been a supporter? Who's been a blocker? You know, it's not that simple. You know, everyone at times, including me, <laughs> has been a blocker to Jay, you know, and, and, and I think that's the truth of the, the situation, because when you're dealing with complex change and system wide change, it's not 
the responsibility of any one organization to change. We're talking about, you know, like looking at issues like um, the, the, um, the opportunities to support children in the community rather than place, depriving them of their liberty in various spaces. That's a system problem. It's not just one organization. Um, so it requires that collaboration, that dialogue, that um, discussion. And so in terms of the approach, it's talking to people, <laughs> like properly talking to people, not um, not a talking head, not a lecture. You know, you do those things, they're useful things to do, but actually engaging in dialogue and listening to what their concerns are, how they're thinking about things and changing your mind if, you know, on the basis of that, you know, really getting a rich conversation and, and investing that time in those relationships. Um, but when I reflect on like the, the kind of stakeholders that, that, for want of a better word, it's not a great word, is it? But the people that have been involved in supporting change for children in conflict with the law in Scotland, you know, there's just been amazing people, some of whom, you know, will never reach the kind of policy um, space or the kind of leadership, they won't be known as leaders, but they're on the ground doing this work day in, day out. Um, and the care and the um, sort of care and justice experience children and people themselves have been part of this, recognising um, the importance of their rights and sometimes start, starting to challenge the professionals around them about when their rights are not being upheld and practitioners are starting to support them to do that work and to do that challenging. So I yeah, go on, Cathy, sorry. So, so was that, did you have a role then, did your organisation have a role in supporting practitioners to take that approach, to think about a rights-based approach, or was it very much they were working on their own and then you, you would come in at certain times on that journey and have a conversation? And I'm also interested in the relationship then with the strategic your strategic colleagues within these organisations, because it can sometimes be difficult to, to make that fit, can't it? There can be great practice, but not really strategic buy-in, or there can be strategic buy-in, but not great practice. So how do we, you know, it's how you bring those two together. How did you approach that? Well, I think, I think one thing we do at, at CYCJ is we are a space for reflection and thinking and supportive dialogue. So being a space and offering that space and providing that to people through, you know, lots of opportunities to share ideas and things. I think, first of all, that is just an open opportunity for people to then do this work themselves, almost with us as a, as a facilitator of that, rather than us, us having an active role. So that's, I think, part of what, what, what we do and what we kind of have offered. Um, and then the other bits is the, the kind of the way I suppose the, the kind of structures of change in um, the kind of the world we call youth justice that we're no longer entirely comfortable about that terminology because well what is it where is it <laughs> you know what are the boundaries of it we talk about children in conflict with the law and their journeys and experiences through different systems and, and organizations but for shorthand i will use it because it's um still some of the the way that other people frame the system um and in in the kind of um world of this kind of change, I suppose change program, it's not called that, but it's a kind of change program for youth justice. And um, there's a kind of, there's a structure to it. So there's been a, a youth justice improvement board at the strategic level um, that's involved in the kind of conversations about wh where we're going and what we should do. And then underneath that, where I think the real magic happens 
there's three different implementation groups that are focused on key system changes. So for instance, about supporting the children's hearing system to support all children up to the age of 18. So they've been working on that work for years, for a good few years now in, in terms of that detailed work. So it's that mix of then people who are practitioners, strategists, researchers, people with the experience um, and policymakers and people with that system know-how. Um, and the kind of models we've always tried to work to is getting that balance then of lived experience, research, policy and practice, um, because that's, that's where we think there's the greatest potential for change because you need all those types of expertise to come together and you create a new form of expertise by bringing all, all of that together. So that's the kind of model that I suppose we've been, we've, we've used for everything, including the rights kind of framing work. And how much of the conversation was rooted in prevention? It's something that I think is quite often misunderstood or it's just not, it's not it's not recognized that actually what we're talking about is is moving work upstream we're talking about prevention so clearly the stats that you gave me at the beginning were that's huge isn't it that's a, a really significant impact but how much is it is it um in the open that conversation about what we're talking about is prevention is that is that part of the the conversation yeah it's a really good question because for us that whole issue about prevention and demonstrating prevention in our world is incredibly problematic. Um, not just for the technical reasons, but because like, how do you operationalize that as a practitioner? It, you know, how do you find the children that might commit crime and do things that will prevent that behavior? It's intrinsically problematic as an approach because you are labeling, you are stigmatizing, you are damaging children by that way of thinking. Of course, it's about prevention. It is about prevention or early intervention, or as you say, that is right. But that way, that terminology, that way of thinking, and that way of ever trying to evidence change is problematic in our world. So what, so, but what we think, um, where we think there's real value then is about rights and inclusion as prevention, because how do you prevent you respect rights <laughs> you know this will do the same thing this will prevent all of these other things but you don't need to think about it on the ground as prevention we obviously need to understand in terms of system change and strategy and where we're going to resolve things we absolutely we need to think about that as prevention um, and benefits of doing that but in terms of how that is experienced by people, if you include people, if you respect rights, if you ensure that children have access to education and good quality healthcare, if you do all of those things, they are the things that we know, the evidence is very clear, will prevent children going on to offend. And was that explicit in the, the strategic conversations that you were having? Yeah, yeah it, it is. And there's a very exciting project that we, um, Got, um, we worked with colleagues at South Lanarkshire um, and, and a range of other partners as well, but it's based in South Lanarkshire, funded by the National um, Lottery um, to, about system change. And it's called Inclusion, Inclusion as Prevention. So, um, it, and it's grappling with that, that exact question, like how, how, how do we do that? How do we include them as a means of prevention without using the prevention language and labeling and stigmatizing the way the way we have described how do we operationalize that and does that make a difference 
um, and how much, and if so, how much does it save? How much will that will we be able to reinvest back into inclusion activities that we then know prevent? Um, and how do we tell a story about that? And even the story of the project. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how do you do that without talking about prevention when it is about prevention? <laughs> so yeah. it, these things are complex. And I think that project, um, you've still got another couple of years to run. But I think there will be really exciting learning from that work for others doing similar and thinking about similar themes. So there's a few things that are coming up. One of them is how do you get the people that you need to be around the table? to have the conversations about children's human rights, a rights-based approach within the prevention agenda, or even not explicitly about that at that point. How do you get them? What's the hook to get them around the table and to use the space that CYCG offers to have that conversation? Yeah, I think that's, a real, that's the real nub of it, um, because it's very easy, obviously, to, and sometimes you must work with those who want to change and are willing to change and can, can lead the way, but you can't just do that. Um, so. So yeah, it's a very good question. Um, my experience, like, ha- yeah, my experience about how things change in watching this a few times is things. My, yeah, my experience has been things often reach a tipping point, and then they change, and it's like that. Actually, it feels like thing you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're talking and you're challenging and you're being challenged, and it's feeling sometimes quite tense actually because you get you're talking about emotional things and things that are very challenging and and, and difficult for people to hear and hold and and then there's something that happens or there's a shift or enough people start thinking a certain thing and then it just all of a sudden just feels like a change a change has happened people start talking the same language people start contacting you saying how can we change this and so that, that, that's been my experience a couple of times, really. Um, and it's not how I anticipated change would happen. <laughs> um, and, and it doesn't always happen like that. You know, I, rec- I recognise that. So in terms of what you're saying, then how do you get those, perhaps those are a bit more resistant to the change around that table when you really need them. Um, my experience has been where that re- has really worked well. It's been talking to other people, getting other people on board. So they then experience a volume of people saying, no, we really need to do this. They start hearing it from every direction, from policy, from practice, in newspapers. Journalists, I think, can be really key. Communities um, can be really key too. Community council. You know, when, once ideas start percolating in that way, then it's, it's so much more, um, people become so much more open to that dialogue. So sometimes I think it's that indirect approach, you build that allegiance. And sometimes it's really having that depth, that honest conversation about what is this about? What is the, um, what, what is the barrier? Is this, and reflecting also on what you're doing that's the problem. I think that's the other bit, you know, it's, um, it, it's quite easy, I think, sometimes to fall into a trap of thinking, oh, if they just change what they're doing, um, rather than if we, if I change, you know, and I, I think that's really important, you know, that to, to reflect on what you're doing that's contributing to a barrier and a problem. And we all, we all do it <laughs> at times, you know, um, including myself, you know, as I'm, sort of ending my time, you know, something I reflect on that I don't think I've always been very good at 
has been to, to really ask very clearly for what I want, <laughs> what I would like to happen. You know, I'm a sort of a more kind of reflective, academic kind of person or, you know, take that approach sometimes. So I analyse a problem, I identify what's going on, but I, I sometimes don't go and say, this, this, is the, this is the context. Can you do this? <laughs> would you do it? Um, you know, I've, I've rather than waiting for people to get there themselves it's like it's I suppose if you were to choose a, a combination of factors or issues that is least likely to get support it would probably be children crime and human rights because all of them have negative connotations and responses quite often and what you've done is put, put them all together so it's almost like you've got a triple whammy um, we often have have trouble just getting people to talk about children rather than young people or youth because young people and youth tends to mean people tend to mean older young people and if we're talking about prevention agenda we really need to be talking about early years and and upwards so that these the in terms of challenges and barriers and opportunities how do you navigate that because what you're talking about, what you, if you're going to reduce the numbers significantly the way you have, somebody has to decide that a child doesn't deserve to go into a secure unit, into secure accommodation. And it's the basis on which you make that decision. That's the culture, isn't it? That's the culture of your organisation or society. And we are rooted in a culture of reward and punishment in Scotland everywhere. So yeah, just some reflections on that would be really interesting to hear. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult, isn't it? To think about what you do because you, you do it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but I think the key is really, you know, this, has been, this has been years of work. You know, you know I, I, I've been in post eight years now. Um, it's having these conversations with people over that length of time. So it's sitting with these issues um, over time, talking to people, um, building an evidence base about what the issues are and how you do something about this, finding the people who want to change and working with them to design things that change things. So not just um, as useful as that is, um, not just policy statements, not just strategies, but actually what the practice looks like, what the work looks like, um, and really trying to bring all of these people together. I think that that is that is the way. But you know, it's eight years of banging your head sometimes against a brick wall, you know, and um, not being listened to, um, yeah. you're not being in the room, and um, you know it you know over the sort of coronavirus period a lot of my my time has been spent trying to alert the system to the fact that um, although we have such small numbers in our young offenders institution now 94 percent of them are there on remand so 94 percent of them haven't had a trial so at, at the moment then of those 17 children in the young offenders institution only one is sentenced. Only one has had a trial, and um, the other sixteen are innocent until proven guilty, um, and they are locked up um, in a young offenders institution during a pandemic. So the yeah. limited family, limited education opportunities. So that that for me, for me, that's been difficult because I have been there thinking, 
why are you not alarmed? This is about the most alarming scenario that we can envisage for this group of children. Um, and so a lot of my time has been going to people, raising the issue, making people aware, looking at the data, because people um, haven't necessarily been watching how many children are there in prison, how many children are on remand, so they haven't spotted that kind of problem. So then talking to people, you know, um, making sure the care inspectorate, the prison inspectorate have the most up-to-date data that we're able to find, helping them think about what's going on, helping them ask questions, asking questions ourselves, supporting dialogue with journalists about that, supporting and encouraging conversation with civil servants, with policymakers, with practitioners, yeah, it, it's a lot of a lot of work behind the scenes, almost one on one, trying to help people understand what's happening and why it's an issue. And that's often the way it ha the change happens, isn't it? It's that one to one, growing increase in understanding and awareness through a positive relationship that forces people to look at something in a different way. And how much is human rights? been at the heart of any of those conversations? Do any, does anybody else bring it up? Is it, does it frame those conversations? Can you see implement, um, incorporation making a difference to those kinds of conversations? Yeah. I, I mean, I think, yes, I can now. I, I think there's been a significant, there, there has been a significant shift and there will continue to be a significant shift as people understand and, better, and we all better understand what this means and, and how we do it and how we, you know, how we really genuinely incorporate UNCRC into everything that we do and how we think and how we resolve things and everything. Um, obviously, it's a journey, but something has clicked, I think, for a volume of people. This tipping point I've kind of talked about, um, something has clicked for enough people to be raised, to be aware of the issues and be thinking about it in this way that people people that I'm engaging with then are very alert to what the what the rights issues issues are and you find people sort of quoting back then deprivation of liberty as a last resort for the shortest period possible. You you know you hear the UNCRC articles being used and thought about and the and the opportunity of that too because you know there are amazing people wanting to do an amazing thing. You know, most people in, in our world do want to do the best possible thing for these children. Um, and I think, I think, I think then, yeah, pe people are up for it. People want, people are ready to face the challenge of how they may need to change to do that. In the main, you always get pockets of resistance and so on. But I think mm -hmm. you've got a volume of people that really do want to do this in a meaningful way what they need is support to do it potential resources to do it um help to understand what that means and a lot of you know uncertainty and confusion about you know what 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 does um you know what do these rights mean in in this context in a court um in a, a children's hearing um in a early and effective intervention process you know what what what, what how in a school yeah like what does that look like um and we're just learning some of that we don't um we don't have examples we have good principles perhaps but you know they've not been sort of really thought through in that in that kind of really deep deep and kind of consistent way um as always you get pockets of brilliance you know yeah. 
And I suppose what you've touched on throughout this conversation is the intersectionality of some of those conversations and practices so that people are not feeling that they're in a they're ploughing their own furrow. And if they don't understand something that's a wee bit beyond that, they're too frightened to ask for help or to you talked about CYCG having a safe being a safe space for people. That's important as well, isn't it? Because it feels like this is such a complex area of work when you're working in a in a culture, in a country of reward and punishment, trying to push an agenda where we want people to be kinder and more considerate, more empathetic, understand that the prevention agenda means better outcomes, but it means that we have to think differently in the first place. You, see, you know, you've, you've been on that journey. Yeah, and, and recognising that for busy people doing busy work in, in you know, very hard-hitting area of practice, mm. that's a really tricky thing to, to do. You know, it's not something that you can just come to a different space and engage with. You know, you need to... You need a space and a relationship to be able to trust and open up and, um, you know, phone the team at CYCJ and say, I I've got a child, I don't know what to do, I don't know the best approach, and be open about not knowing that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the, um, yeah, that's the, that's, that really is the key to be able to have that trust. It's like any yeah. trust in relationships and the time to invest, for everybody to invest in, in, in those, um, yeah. And it's such a new area of work, really. A rights-based approach is new for folk, isn't it? And and people will be thinking, oh, I should know this. But actually, it's very new. And we need to be able to identify places and people that can support folk on that journey. We're coming to, to the end of the conversation, Claire, but we have a few minutes left. Is there anything else that you'd like to raise or share or add as a provocation? Yeah. Anything at all? I suppose, that, you know, one, one thing I've, I've not kind of I've said, but I... I do feel like, um, you know, so often we, we are in this, we have been in this difficult space at, at CYCG talking about, children, as exactly you described, children, justice um, and rights. And um, we really need advocates to step in this space with us. Um, you know, sometimes it has felt we have been a slightly lone voice thinking about children in the justice system as a specific group. To really think about their rights um you know along the way you know we have worked with some amazing people and i'm so grateful for that but sometimes um bigger organizations or um people advocating for other other right rights for other children sometimes um haven't always stepped into this space and i really feel like there's so much potential. Um, yeah, come, come, come and join us and, and advocate for the rights of these children as well. It's not instead of, uh, you know, it's not, um, you, you don't disrespect the rights of children who you are thinking of as victims by uh, stepping into a space where you're thinking about children that cause harm to others. Often, obviously, the, the um, children's experience is much more complicated than that dichotomy allows anyway. But even if it wasn't, um, we we want to respect all children's rights. All it's not you don't have to just um, think about one group or another. It it can't be like that. Um, so yeah, just a, I suppose I'd end on that on that note, please. Um, you know, you, you we we need a body of people to be thinking about these children in whatever lens you're thinking about, whatever work you're doing across the sector as well. And whatever sector they're working in, we all need to be in the prevention space, don't we? And so everything that we can do to support children and families from pre 
conception right the way through is going to make a difference in that space because we're identifying problems and potential problems upstream. Yeah. It's amazing. It's an amazing amount of work that you've done. And, uh, you know, you've been really inspiring. And I know that you're held in such huge respect, Claire. And I love the, the shield that your colleagues thought to get you to have made for you because it may, it meant a lot to you at the time and uh, it just kind of sums you up, you know, a gentle dragon, I think I have to say. And also in terms of coming together, you're an unfairty and I'm sure you will continue to be an unfairty and that, uh, yeah, there you go, here's my badge. Um, the bringing people together and uh, through the year of childhood, we want as many people as possible to join on the unfairty to join the unfairty movement so that by the end of this year we've got a map you'll be able to click on it you'll be able to see yourself and lots of and lots of other people who are who are stepping up to the plate to have these kinds of conversations and to begin to unpack some of these complex challenges that we've got that we we can't any longer be looking in silos we have to children don't see their lives in silos do they they experience everything in their lives all the time and so um we look forward to staying in touch with you as you go on to the next steps of your exciting journey and uh, through Year of Childhood and beyond. Thank you. Thanks, Evan, so much. And for, for the Children's Parliament, for all the work you've done and for the, the project to develop these beautiful shields that finally, <laughs> because, you know, it felt sometimes, sometimes you need a shield. If you're going to be brave, <laughs> you you need that protection and support. So yeah, it meant, meant, meant and means an awful lot to me. Thank you, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, make, we'll make sure she knows that you've got that in pride of place in your house. Thanks a lot, Claire. Take care and all the very best for the next steps. Thank you. Thank you ever so much for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about our work, please visit www.childrensparliament.org.uk.